Let us sit right here, right now. For most of us, it's the beginning of a new day. How shall I comport myself? How shall I behave? Why not make the intention to be present for whatever arises? Why not make the intention to be kind to ourselves, to others? And fundamentally, why not make the intention, form the intention, embrace the intention to be right here in the present moment? And what do we find here in the present moment? A body alive hearing A body which is nothing but sensations, everywhere awareness lands. And we settle the body down with the intention to not move for a while. And settling down the body makes the movements of mind more obvious. And then the mind too begins to settle down.
Each breath connects us with all of life. And we can develop a mind which is attentive to the very first beginning, the first inkling of the breath about to come into being. We can stay with that breath, the sensations of in-breathing all the way to fullness, all the way to declining to disappearing. Most likely the mind will do some wandering, maybe a lot. And that too, we simply notice. It's wandering, it's worrying, it's planning, it's liking, it's disliking. There is this mysterious capacity of knowing that those events are occurring and neither resisting them nor diving into them simply observing their arising and passing away.
as we abide in the present moment. And attune awareness to the simplicity of breathing in and breathing out. Activities of mind and emotion, which previously were below the threshold of awareness, begin to emerge. We notice thoughts that used to be unseen, unnoticed, taken at face value. We notice the discontinuity of thoughts and perceptions. That which we take to be a self becomes porous, discontinuous. Moods that we thought were just who we are become objects of observation. Reflexes of mind and speech become apparent. A sense of choice in our behaviors of thought, speech, and body begins to emerge. Our previously unobserved, unknown prejudices, biases emerge. How do we bring love to all of this? If love means there's room for everything, we make room for it. Just as we can make room for sounds, we can make room for an, a loving thought or an ugly thought, a thought of fear or hatred. It's all in there for all of us.
grounding ourselves in the present moment in this breath, this coming and going. Please be kind with yourself. The first great insight that comes to a meditator doing what we are has a lot to do with recognizing how out of control the mind is. It's a force of nature. It has its own weather. It's affected by hormones and body chemistry and blood sugar level and by previous conditioning of all kinds, 
So to undertake the task of awakening to it and ever so mercifully and kindly taming it requires a great deal of kindness and compassion. Buddha used the metaphor of how to tame a wild elephant. It had to do with putting some kind of a device on their foot and then giving them lots of room. If you put too short a chain on, they freak out and hurt themselves and destroy everything around them. You give them enough slack, they can move so they feel safe or safer. And so it is with the mind. We don't clamp down on it. <laughs> we don't send in heavily armed keepers of the peace. <laughs> we let the mind say what it needs to say, be what it needs to be. And when we listen deeply, then peace naturally arises. So with great love, please come home to the breath. Notice the emergence of the five hindrances of desire and aversion, restlessness, agitation, worry, sloth and torpor, dullness, and doubt. Come home to the present moment.
And please now Remember some time in your life when you experienced great love. Might have been with another person, an infant, a grandparent, a dog or cat. Perhaps it was an exquisite sunset where you recognized your interbeing with all of life. Or maybe a moment of watching the waves roll in at the beach. You know what that experience is like. To reflect upon it fires off the same synapses in the brain as the experience itself. It is the experience itself. So cultivating a few moments, what words, what words would represent that experience? There are traditional phrases that are used for metta, loving-kindness practice. Things like, may I be happy. May I be free from fear and danger. May I live with ease and grace. May I be liberated. May I know the absolute safety of an undefended heart. May my life become one great sigh of gratitude. What would be your prayer, your words, your feeling in your body? Perhaps it's an imagination of a place, a favorite place in the woods or at the beach or in the mountains, somewhere on a sailboat. curled up in your bed. Cultivating that experience of profound acceptance of yourself. Wishing well for yourself. And now wishing well for those who are on this connection, this Zoom call, this YouTube, Facebook connection. Every single person here longs to be loved and loving, longs to feel safe, longs to understand, longs to feel supported in what's important to them, longs to feel healthy, to be healthy. 
Let us rest in our wishes of kindness and love to everyone here. And then extending these to our loved ones at home or wherever they are. Parents, grandparents, children, spouses, partners, best friends. As they go about their day today, may they be supported by our love. And outwards now. Directing our love toward those who are struggling with poverty and violence, having too much power, lost in delusions. To all of us here on the earth, trying to make our way, making our way. Thinking of those persons who are dying today or right now. Those babies who are being born right now. May all beings everywhere share in the merits of our practice. And please now bringing awareness into the eyes And do the effort it takes to encourage the eyes to open. And then there's seeing. In my case, it's seeing 25 little vignettes of beautiful people. How beautiful to graciously allow each other into our homes into our hearts. I have a couple of announcements familiar to most of you. One is that Monday morning, this link will not work. If you want to tune in on Monday morning, you will need to go to um, Acceptiva, it's called, and that's where the new links live. <laughs> and you can find the address of that on the chat right now. And uh, you can also find it on, you will, you can already, and you will be able to find it on the portlandinsight.org website. If you go to the list of offerings, various classes, that starting Monday will be the new link. Um, also, if you don't succeed at any of that, come here and Molly Balin will be uh, offering that link at that time. Saturday morning from 9 to 1, Betsy Toll and I will be doing a half-day retreat. 
on really facing the difficulty of these times, really looking into that and how we can use how we can use the energy of these times to become more loving and go forward to make our contribution to the world. And you can also see on the chat a link which will take you to the donation contribution portion of the PIMC website. And if this is helpful to you, and if you want to uh, practice the joy and delight of giving, I encourage you to find your way to that website and to make some contribution, small or large. The, the essence is this, it's the opening of the hand and saying, I have enough I can share. Um, and the most helpful thing is a monthly contribution to join the stewardship circle. That way budgeting is more functional. And with that also to take inspiration to practice generosity in your life. And I have the particular <laughs> prejudice, I guess, that the single most generous thing we do for the world is gathering together to practice. And a single moment of mindfulness is of utmost importance. Because the more awake we are, the better we are in our behavior towards ourselves and others. And we leave behind us awake in the world of inevitably, and we might as well leave awake that has to do with kindness and love and compassion. So I think with that, I have spoken enough. And I invite you to share what's happening for you. I guess one thing I want to say about the, the world of politics and strife and demonstration and bringing, bringing to consciousness the um, hidden sufferings, uh, I, I'm taking some heart and encouragement that very powerful voices are now standing up and speaking truth to power. And um, that's encouraging to me. For those who have that kind of position to do that, to be finally speaking well, powerfully is, it, it's really good when mom and dad start behaving really, really as they should and aren't getting whew, pain. Oh, you know, they aren't getting drunk and going crazy, they're actually starting to be responsible. And that's very comforting deep down inside for me. So what's up with you, my friends? Any questions, comments, statements from the heart? Robert, it's, uh, it's B. Hello, B. Hello. How nice I have to see you. Nice to see you too. Um, I have a question related a little bit to what you just said about speaking truth and also to something that you said yesterday. Um, when Chris spoke so beautifully from his heart, um, when he finished, you said something like, um, and later, if you feel the inevitable embarrassment for having spoken, oh, yeah, 
you know, and, and you said something reassuring. Could you, could you address that a little bit more about this fact that often when people, we speak from our hearts with truth mm -hmm. later, we feel a little embarrassed or ashamed about it? <laughs> yeah, sure. A long time ago when I first started teaching, <clears throat> something would happen every now and then and, and the, the Dharma would just be spoken and I would lose control of myself and it, and it became, and it was powerful and it was beautiful. And, and then uh, I would always go home and drink when that happened <laughs> because um, who, who are you to take up so much space or who's interested in that? And, and there's parental, there's particularly father stuff in it is it, that how dare you be so spontaneous and um, you should you shouldn't you know you shouldn't take up space here I know in in our home uh, when my father drove in the driveway a shout occurred in the house which was you know okay dad's home and we had to tone it down and he wasn't a bad man I mean he he did he did wonderful things he provided a lot for me and he was very wounded and so so uh, um, and I, I know Chris a little bit, and uh, I know what is, I, I, it has been the case for me, speaking, bringing something forward that in some contexts, one would get slapped down. Um, to bring it forward, then there's the shame response. And shame is the great silencer. And so I wanted, uh, I, I think of that as an inoculation of the speaker in this era of vaccinations. Uh, it's an inoculation t to just be ready because that'll co that comes up, and uh, to to it doesn't it doesn't mean it won't happen, but at least to see the shame attack for what it is. I still get shame attacks. Period. When I teach retreats, like a, a, a ten or twelve day retreat, day even shorter, day two or three. There's always, it's not, it's, it doesn't have much power now, but it used to be very painful. And the, this doubt would come in, who am, who am I to be teaching the Dharma? And, and, um, and then the, the only thing to do with it is to love oneself with that natural process, which is happening. And to not, to just not make it worse. And then it passes away because it is impermanent. That what you were looking for, something like that. Yeah. Yes, thank you. There are in the Buddhist teachings two mental factors. You know, there's mindfulness and concentration. There are two that are called the great protectors. They are Hiri H I R I and Otopa Hiri Otopa, and uh, they are moral shame and moral dread. And shame is a part of our structure, part of our. It's a part of our. Um, it's a part of us <laughs> and it's really skillful and wise when one does something which is harmful to oneself or another when one breaks the precepts it's really skillful to feel shame which is whoa what i just did was not okay that hurt someone that hurt me that was dishonest that was whatever and then otapa 
is the experience that occurs, the mental factor that occurs when we're about to do something unethical or that would harm others or, or violate our, what the Buddha called uprightness of heart. It's really good to have that feeling. It's like, oh no, ugh, I don't want to do that. I, I did that and I felt bad. So I'm, I'm going to use Hiri and Otapa to protect me from unskillful behavior. So, however, that, that shame um, can be used in, in raising children and we develop a shame-based identity. And then it's very difficult. It's hard to figure out who we are and what skillful action is. And um, I have a favorite book on shame that I, I, I turned on someone onto the other day. It's out of print and hard to find, but it's called Shame, The Power of Caring by Gershon Kaufman. He was one of the first people in the West, in Western psychology to study shame. And he's been, he's really had a profound influence on the world of psychotherapy. So shame, the power of caring, Kaufman. And there are many others that have now written about that, but it's, it's a powerful affect. One, one last thing he said, uh, he did, he came to Portland and did a three day training that I found really seminal in my work. Uh, he, um, he said that if, if Freud had been working with the women of Vienna on their experiences of shame, all of Western psychology would be based on the affect of shame rather than the affect of anxiety because it's deeper and more profound, it's, it's more profound, but we didn't. So our site, we really emphasize anxiety, but shame is like the, the floor gets pulled out from under us. It's not that you did something wrong. It's that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And then we go into, I, I mean, I've struggled with it for years and years and we just go into the dark. It's like, well, I, there's something wrong with me. So therefore I might as well just die. And a parent can help generate shame in a child simply by not responding. Oh, mommy, mommy, look at, look at my painting. Who gives a rip? I'm, I'm preoccupied. Child says, ah, there's something wrong with me. Rather than, oh dear, mom's an alcoholic and can't be present. And you know, we don't have that capacity when we're really little. So we create, we create shame very easily. Thanks for asking that. Good morning. It's Allison. Allison, hello. Hi. I have something to say, but you really touched me because I'm learning, have been learning a lot about mindfulness and touching that place inside of me that I didn't allow for many years, most of my life, all my life. Mm -hmm. And I, it, and it, I, it, I think it goes back to my childhood of shame. And I was a, a really ultra sensitive kid. And I remember so many times, either my mom or my dad saying, Allison, snap out of it, you know, stop, mourning or crying or whatever it is just um get normal again <laughs> or whatever that is 
And now uh, at PIMC, thank you, I'm learning to become friends with what I'm feeling and to feel um, like this morning, um, I just have so many tears. And I, there's part of me that's ashamed of that, that I should snap out of it because I should get over this, this sadness. And I think of my, my granddaughter that's black and stuff that she's already at age seven feels. Mm -hmm. And I have to cry. Mm -hmm. I can't stop. I can stop for a while and forget about it and do what I have to do during the day. But if I think about it, I cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I'm glad that I have a place here that's safe where um, you listen. And some of you maybe feel the same way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, dear Allison. I don't know if you notice, but that you do. I have a thread of sadness, which is close to the surface a lot of the time these days. And it, it, um, it became more apparent to me after my brain surgery and all the pain and suffering that came personally at that time. And it, um, when, there's, when there's grieving to do, there's grieving to do. And, and I want to thank you for being so open this morning and um, gracing us, giving us the blessing of your tears and sadness. It's, it's, it's only when someone has the bravery to, to be in a public forum and to reveal that, that others of us can realize, oh, wow, I have those feelings too. So it's, it's always, uh, it's all, uh, you know, in almost every context, certainly the, all the contexts in which I travel, uh, what your 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 tears are a blessing that's the water of life for us thank you it, it it looks like you also have some loving support right beside you which is really great tim um One of the ways I choose, which I'm a musician, one of the ways I choose or recognize a really great song, a song that I want to put the effort into learning, uh, performing, using, is that it brings tears. Mm. Um, and they're not always tears of grief or sadness, of course. Um, but that's a litmus paper and then I have to go through the process of learning the song and then doing it enough times to where I can perform it without crying. I mean, without crying 
<laughs> and making me making myself unable to continue singing it. <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's a, a litmus paper, and I think there's <laughs> maybe some application. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks. Incidentally, the song that I played um, prior to going live uh, recording was um, the Avett Brothers. It's called We Americans. Hi, Robert and everyone. This is Natasha. Hello, Natasha. Hi. I wanted to say thank you to Allison for sharing in such a real and open way. Uh, sorry, my puppy just came running at me. Um, I also feel that. I also feel that a lot and in a very real way and have that thread of sadness. And just wanted to share that because I think it's important to share that with each other and recognize that in each other. And I, I, that's something that I'm so grateful about in this community is seeing more and more like-hearted people. And I, I spent a day yesterday doing just that, feeling the grief of the world and letting myself sit in it. And it's necessary. And it's something that I find myself um, helping my clients with a lot too of accepting that part of themselves that feels the pain so deeply. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to understand what that is, but that, that deeply sensitive way of being in the world, we have to, we have to recognize it and honor it as a gift. And I think a lot of us did experience shame, shaming of it, especially in childhood. I did as well. And, for a long time, the way that I dealt with that also was drinking, and I haven't been for the last almost year and a half now, and it's been incredibly freeing, and um, I don't know, this, this conversation is bringing up a lot for me, and I just feel really grateful to see others sharing that as well. Thank you, Natasha. Thanks. Sun is on the tent. Radiant energy, quite remarkable. Hmm. Lots of airplanes this morning. I think the world is coming back to activity.
this pause between speakers always reminds me of two instances in my life. One was 50 years ago in the mountains of Nepal, maybe 75 or 80 miles back outside of Pokhara, just myself and my girlfriend. And we, we went, we'd enter a village, it was before trekking was a big thing, business. And we'd enter a village and say, Hami Yahabazna Sakchao, which meant, can I stay here? And the people would point to the house in the village that took in travelers. And, so, and then we sat with the family and we ate with the family. And, and there was a quality of speech, which was un, un, unheard of. I, I'd never experienced before, which was that someone would speak and then there would be silence for a while, sometimes a long while. And then someone else would speak. And this was a, um, this was a time when, when the, the radios were just coming in to the valley. The, the king of Nepal was trying to create a nation. And so he was sending a, a radio into every village. And um, another time, my daughter Tara was working among the Makushi in uh, northeastern Brazil. And they, uh, they were also pre-electronic. And uh, I got to spend a day with her in that village one time. And uh, they were the same. They would, someone would speak and then they'd be quiet and then someone would speak. And the, the rush uh, wasn't there. And it, it, uh, it, it I heard it at, at, we got tired and uh, needed to rest around midday. And so we were in hammocks just outside the house. Everyone sleeps in hammocks. And, and uh, I listened to the family having their conversation and it was so like the people in Nepal. Now, no doubt they get upset and intense and so on at times, but that the capacity of having silence between what needs to be said is just so beautiful. Almost as though resting in the beauty of our being, as Ruth would put it, uh, is enough. And then there comes something to be spoken, also like the Quakers. So now I'll be quiet again. Mm -hmm. Morning, Robert. Thank you, everybody, for being here. It's I say my name is Gail because I have a very long name, and <laughs> that's that's my nickname. So um, I just what was coming up for me is um, you know the power of the roles that I learned to play, and I've been thinking about that. Um, because it, it sort of has quite an energy behind it. And I'm doing some energy work. And, and so it's sort of all kind of coming forward. Um, you know, another layer of how I'm put together and what I can do. And I think the meditation is part of that. And um, it's important for me to know that these roles 
we all play roles. That's part of our our personalities and all that. Um, but having that awareness, I can choose. And I know that these roles are not the me, you know, it's not, are not the essence of, of my being. And I think the meditation has contributed to that. And you're talking about the, the silences and um, they're not my family, but I knew families where I would, I might go visit someone and it's, you know, the sun was shining and they'd have a couple chairs on the front porch and they'd say, well, come and let's have a sit down, you know? And the sit down was just sitting down <laughs> and enjoying the, the sunshine and the, maybe the nature around us, maybe their kids playing in the cul-de-sac or whatever. And, and they, you know, just offer you a cup of tea or, or a, a, you know, a glass of refreshing water. And there was very little shared verbally, you know, no, no, we weren't talking. And then something would come up and someone would say a line and then it'd be quiet again. And um, anyway, I just thought I'd share that. And I learned it um, originally from uh, someone who, whose family came from Norway and they lived in the Midwest. And um, those folks do very long sit downs and have very, Mm -hmm. uh, extended, um, slow speaking sentences. And that's not where my, uh, you know, that, that wasn't the cadence of the ways people, people spoke or anything. So, um, anyway, I just thought I'd put that out there. That's what I was kind of reflecting on. Thank you, Gail. So we're getting a little after eight. Anybody sitting on anything that you it would be? Robert. I hear someone. It's had. That's had. I just want to say quickly, you, you mentioned the airplanes and life and things starting up again. Yeah. I just want to remind people that nothing has changed with vaccine or anything like that. We are we still need to maintain our distance, although there's a hunger and craving to have life be back as it was before. And that's not so that we still need to be very careful and not infect each other. Amen. So remember Thanks. that after, after through the day. Thanks, Ed. I just realized I got confused. It was Eric that was sharing yesterday. So and thank you again, Eric.
<laughs> I just <laughs> yesterday morning after the broadcast, I went in the kitchen where Jennifer was, and as I always do, I washed my hands, and she was making fun of me, <laughs> saying, "Robert." You weren't just with a hundred people, you were in your tent. But but I'm so conditioned at this point that if I'm around people, you should always wash, at least use hand sanitizer. So it's a funny ritual, but it's still it remains very important for us. Especially us oldies, higher risk. Well, last call. Anyone would like to say anything? Please do. <laughs> so I look forward to being with you. Today's Thursday, again on tomorrow, and then Saturday I will not be broadcasting. And then Sunday, or Sa oh, that's not true. Sat oh, that oh, it is none. Ah, that's interesting. Okay, I hadn't put that together. So on Saturday morning, I will appear here at a little quarter to nine for our retreat with Betsy. Ha. All right, friends, let's do our little song. Unmuting all. There we go. May all be happy. May all be happy. Happy trails, dear friends. Thank you, those of us joining us on Thank you, everybody. Facebook and YouTube. Thank you. Oh, I hear children somewhere there. Oh. Bye, sweetie. Have a nice day. You too. <laughs> I will. You know what we're doing when we're wiggling our fingers? We're 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 clapping in a funny way, in the in a special way. All right. Bye bye. Jim Dalton, you look weird. <laughs> 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 All right. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>